I've been reading some stories about the persecuted church. And just to be frank with you, I struggle because there's such a gap between what they experience of Jesus and what I experience. But I, I believe that gap can be closed. They, they have such open hearts because I think they've, they've seen heaven open. They've seen the God-man, Jesus, in their lives. Take, take one instance, Muhammad. Um, he was a Sunni Muslim in Mosul, Iraq. Um, converted to Christ, Jesus appeared to him in a dream, and he began to pursue Jesus and got a Bible and started witnessing to other uh, Muslims in Mosul. And when he was uh, ejected from the city, uh, ISIS had come through and, and took over the city. And so in a refugee camp, there he is. His... Um, passport still says he's Sunni Muslim and so they put him in the Muslim section of of the refugee camps and when Voice of the Martyrs caught up with him Todd interviewed him and was chatting with him and and said you know what what do you need what, what can we be praying for and Muhammad said to him what do I need I have every God gives us everything we need I have everything I could possibly need I have daily bread and I have a mission field just outside my tent these are people who would kill him if he got the chance, but he would rather feed them, bless them, share with them the love of Jesus. You know heaven is open to a person when they forgive their enemies, right? And, and I believe that, that we can learn this today. I can learn this today. An open heaven leads to an open heart. When you see heaven open, like we know in this story with Stephen, when you see heaven open, your heart stays open as well. Because Jesus declared that our new family is a family based on forgiveness, right? That's how we're saved, is because of forgiveness. We now live forgiven, resurrected lives in the shadow of the cross because of that great forgiveness when evil was extinguished, taken of all of its power. Now we live in forgiveness, a household called forgiveness. <laughs> Love your enemies. Now when I'm talking about forgiveness, I just need to do a quick note for those who are in abusive situations. Um, that call to forgiveness needs a caveat because there is a po there's possible uh, way to live in which you have a heart open to forgiveness, but you're not living with the person who's abusing you. Okay, that this is not, I forgive you, I beat you, I forgive you, I beat you. I for That's not the way of Jesus, and he wants you to be healthy and whole. So uh, forgiving your abuser doesn't mean standing there letting them abuse you. There may need to be some space. An open heart to forgiveness doesn't mean you're immediately reconciled. But we know that when we open our heart to God's forgiveness, he pours forgiveness out so that we can live free and clean. You see, what, what separates us, followers of Jesus, from the average good person in society is that we love our enemies. It's the thing that separates us. It, it's the one thing that's unexpected. It's the one thing that Jesus said is going to make us stand apart. It may be the one thing that's missing. You know, what good is it if you do good to those who do good back to you? Well, that's what everybody does. That's, that's just the common, normal, everyday thing. Hey, I'll do you a favor. You do me a favor. So you have to ask. Do, do, I'll ask you, do you shout down your opponents or bless them? 
And I'm asking you this question not to keep from asking myself. I, I actually personally find my track record suspect in this. I don't take kindly to false accusations. Not yet. I have room to grow. Room to endure. Room to entrust myself to God. And those are some words that are going to keep coming up in this passage, in this conversation. Uh, so in our, in our third and final pass through the story of Stephen, he's just too good and there's too many themes in there to, to ignore. We're going to look at Jesus in the open vision of heaven. We'll look at Stephen who clearly sees Jesus as if he's standing right there and whose, whose life, Stephen's life, had the glow of the Savior. He's the first martyr, the witness to die for standing with Jesus, and Jesus is standing right there with him. Right, right now, there is intense persecution of Christians going on in the world. I, I mentioned Muhammad uh, being ejected out of, of uh, Iraq because of ISIS, but, but we've got millions, um, millions interned right now in re-education camps in China. We've got mob violence um, in India, beheadings in Mozambique. Right. The, the, the violence in India is overlooked by the local government. But Pastor Mahesh led a small prayer gathering one Friday afternoon at his home in southern India. And three Hindu extremists burst into the home and began to scold him for leading a prayer meeting in their village. Persecution.com reports that one of the men hit Mahesh several times with an iron rod. But then several Christians rescued the pastor from his attackers. I always wonder if that would happen. Uh, an ambulance then transported the bloody pastor to the hospital where he received treatment for a head wound and a fractured left shoulder. So Mahesh spent three months recovering from the attack, and he was unable to lead the prayer gatherings or worship services at his small church. And, and these extremist groups and Hindu nationalists are increasing their attacks on pastors, the the point leaders of these churches like Mahesh in India, and the families, of course, are suffering with them. And what I find interesting with Mohammed or Mahesh, they're not actually asking for prayer that persecution would stop. They're, they're asking for endurance, for courage, for boldness. Does that strike you as different? Muhammad, who's like, as long as I got food in a mission field, I'm good. God's given me everything I need. <laughs> you know, let's just keep pressing on. They're just, they just seem to be pleased knowing that the good news of Jesus' forgiveness will go forward through their life. An open heaven leads to an open heart. When they see Jesus in their suffering, they keep an open heart toward those, even those who persecute them. And so I want to go through this passage forward with, through Stephen's perspective and then backward through the lens of this curious guy named Saul, who you may already know about, the persecutor of the church that, that later turned leader of the church. So, so go forward with Stephen and then just kind of look backward with Paul or Saul. Uh, would you go on that journey with me? Uh, it, won't, it won't take too long. Yeah? Okay. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. So who were they? They, they were from the Greek-speaking lo local Jewish groups called synagogues. 
and they were fired up about the homeland, about the temple, about all things. They had, they had moved back to Jerusalem, found themselves there, and um, had brought Stephen ahead with these false accusations to condemn him in front of the council, to get all of the council together. So they're, they're indoors in this council room. And right there in this courtroom, another courtroom was opened up. But, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. <laughs> the glory of God, wow. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. So right there, he's in the middle. He sees this other courtroom superimposed on this courtroom. And Jesus standing there as his advocate, standing to, to cast judgment on those who are casting judgment, right? Beautiful layers here. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen has this unlikely ability to offer severe critique. He's, he's called them, you stiff-necked people. Without self-defense, he's, he's not trying to defend himself. He's actually, what is he trying to do? He's actually trying to win them over, trying to restore them. Now, Peter taught about this as well. Peter was one of the early church leaders, and it's obvious that Stephen had, had adopted, incorporated this way of living uh, among, among those who were doing him wrong, because an, an open heaven leads to an open heart. So Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 20-25, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He, com Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He endured. We should endure and we should entrust. And that's how an open heart responds to an an open heaven. You know, in America, if the TV and movies we watch are any indication, we love a good vengeance story. Payback. Revenge. Don't we? Like, finally, they got what's coming to them. Okay, it's all better. You know, from, from John Wayne to the Avengers, we just want to get them paid back. Uh, vigilantes? Okay, whatever. In the social upheaval that we're experiencing now, there's a desire to um, rip away from the haves and give to the have-nots, right? There's this sense of tearing down structures of oppression. 
that sounds that sounds good in, in itself. But what's behind that is jealousy. Jealousy that says God owes me and he hasn't paid up yet. So I'm going to take it from you. I'm going to I'm going to get it from you. James would say the same thing. You, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong intentions. And so you're into biting and devouring each other, right? Jealousy. God owes me big time. <laughs> Is that the Christian story? Does God owe you? <laughs> no, he, uh, he has done everything. In patient endurance, Jesus went to the cross, did not revile. He offered himself for us entirely. We're not waiting for payout. He has given us everything. Now, in, in the society that is jealous and clamoring and grasping for, for what's owed them by God, ultimately, and so I'm going to take it out of you, uh, there's no patient endurance, no entrusting to the God who judges justly, is there? Now, I'm not going to tell someone while I'm oppressing them to wait patient and endure. No, no, no. There are rightful claims and there are wrongs to be righted. But the, but the Christian response is to endure and to entrust. So a word to the haves, those who have. Do we really need to wait for what we have to be taken from us? Or can we entrust what we have to a God who judges justly? But, but it's true, isn't it? America's fascinated with these themes of over my dead body. and You can pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I mean, here's another example. You can tell it's deep in the American psyche. In response to the horrifying events at the Kabul airport, President Joe Biden mustered a little bit of passion and delivered targeted responsive words to the American people, to give them what they want to hear, okay? Revenge, retribution, pain. And so without delving into geopolitical analysis for which I'm uh, woefully unprepared, uh, it's enough to note that, that he knew, President Biden knew what the American people want to hear. Uh, I went, went back and listened to it. President Joe Biden says, to those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command. Okay. What's he saying? He's saying, obviously, he's a politician, what the American people want to hear. What do we want to hear? Payback. Revenge. Nobody's going to get a leg up on us. We're going to come at you with the full fury of the, you know, you know the politics. You know the rancor. But what does that do to us? Like, yeah, 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 payback. In fact, it's, it's very typical for the heroes of the story to shout words of, of vengeance and curses. And, and, you know, just before being hung or beheaded or whatever, it's like, curse you, curse you, curse you. But curiously, among followers of Jesus, it's different. It really is. Uh, Stephen was very, very different. Tom Wright notes that, that if we knew nothing about Christianity except the fact that its martyrs called down blessings and forgiveness rather than cursing and judgment, right? If, if that was their mode, they, they call down 
blessing and forgiveness, cursing and judgment on their torturers and executioners. We would have a central, though no, no doubt puzzling, insight into the whole business. You get that? If all we knew about Christianity was like, wow, why do they endure? Why do they, how can they entrust their lives to that? There's something deep in there. I don't know if you can feel it, but it's, it's different. It comes cross-grain to the way I'm wired, uh, but I'm getting my wiring changed. In Acts uh, 8, it goes on, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, um, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Men lamenting. <laughs> Can we? Should we? It's our heritage to lament the loss. Men and, and women. Willie James Jennings says, we're not supposed to brush it aside. We're not, we don't normalize the martyr's blood and say, well, you know, the blood, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, like Tertullian said. Uh, we just assume that it's part and parcel, a necessary aspect of the church's growth. No, we, he says Christians should in fact lament the loss of those whose courageous voices pointed toward life, and in so doing were friends of God. So here we have Saul ravaging the church, it says in Acts 8, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now usually you'd hear of uh, the men being hauled off to prison, right? Uh, this pastor is beaten and his wife is alongside, Pastor Mahesh, right? Well, isn't it beautiful? It's, it's, it's curious. All you ladies out there, think about this. Uh, there were obviously some women who were such avid Jesus disciples that they were considered a threat as well. Yeah, <laughs> a threat to the status quo, a threat to normal. They were preaching and teaching Jesus. Leaders of the local movement of Jesus followers. Why else, why else would he mention it? Tom Wright notes that when you're doing that kind of thing, you only arrest people who are likely to be a problem. People who are full members of and potentially also potential leaders in the movement. So it's striking here and elsewhere that this number regularly, from the very beginning of the movement, included not only men, but also women. So ladies and gentlemen, are you a threat to the status quo? Does the enemy have any reason to shut you down? Okay, so that's the story going forward. And there's plenty there. I know we could we could sit back on that, have a cup of coffee and just ponder like, what does that look like? Just through the eyes of Stephen. But I just want to take a, a few minutes and go backward through the lens of Saul. Uh, a curious figure just standing there at the end of, of chapter seven, chapter eight here. And, and now it's going to pivot toward a, a Saul shaped uh, story. But here he is at the stoning of Stephen. And I'm trying to think, what would Saul be thinking? As he looks back on this moment, what would Saul, who's then called Paul, what would he be thinking about his involvement or Stephen's influence on him? How would he look back on these moments? You know, we had, we had the story, right, that, that, that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Behold, I see the heavens open, he declared, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand 
of God. Saul, who was later called Paul, would say to the Roman house churches in Romans chapter 8, if God's for us, God's standing right there in the temple court, his, his own courtroom, and superimposed over the Sanhedrin, the council where they're accusing him. But if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Right there, standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Who is to condemn? Well, Jesus is the one who died for, more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's indeed interceding for us. So right there, Paul, I think, as he heard that that story that Stephen told and, and how Stephen looked up and saw Jesus at the right hand, I bet Saul was thinking, wow, that's the, that's the truth, isn't it? That is absolutely the truth. Who is at the right hand of God? Who is interceding for us? It's Jesus. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, <laughs> distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Many of you would have been like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And yet Saul says, seriously, Look at, the, look at your situation. Look at the right hand. The open heaven leads to an open heart. I, I have everything from Jesus. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I think Paul, looking back on that day when he wrote to the house churches in Philippi, he says, yeah, I'm going to rejoice, actually, because I know that your prayers, though, I, though he was in prison, are going to help um, help me out and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. I could be, I'm going to be delivered. Absolutely. Well, what's your deliverance going to look like? He says, this is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I'm going to be delivered from this, either by life or by death. A common thought with persecuted Christians is, well, if I die, then I get to be with Jesus. So what were you going to take from me again? Paul says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. This is going to be exciting. Which shall I choose? I don't know. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Just this morning, I was praying at the bedside of one of our members, Walt, who's going to be turning 95 years old, but his body is succumbing, and, and he's he was in the hospital, and he's not sure he has a ton of energy to, to continue and make it, uh, make it much further. He's pushing for his birthday. But as I prayed with him, and we talked about his connection to Jesus, he's just like, yeah, I'm ready to be with Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> And like, okay, yeah, I want to remain in the flesh, but, you know, to be with Jesus, that's awesome. So that's all. would totally agree. He said, yeah, Walt, that's exactly it. Stephen, falling to his knees, cried out with a loud voice, <laughs> what do you think about this? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I think Saul, looking back on that, would say, wow, that's about right. In that letter to the Romans, he, he would go on and say, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Saul was one of the persecutors. He'd say, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I know Paul was thinking about that first death, that first martyr, that first one who gave his life as a witness for Jesus. And he's thinking, wow, I was there. I was the one who started it. That was evil. And evil for Paul for all Christians, is not ignored in this. Saul, Paul isn't pretending it doesn't exist. God is going to call to account those that deface the good, beautiful, created order. The problem is what to do about the evil. Paul, Paul would say that evil and its power was exhausted on Jesus. He took all of that onto himself, our sin, and evil went after him and exhausted its power. He disarmed them on the cross. So, so we look no further than the cross. And, and the new creation begun in the, the empty tomb. And we look to that new, new future. So when we engage in revenge, it starts the cycle all over again. The cycle of harm and loss and hurt and hurting and all that. And so... The opposite, I think, of the open heaven, open heart scenario is a closed heart leads to a closed heaven. Jesus says, if you're not going to forgive, neither will you be forgiven. This is the mode that we live in. And we know that uh, the, in Acts chapter 8, it goes on, Saul approves of this execution. There arose a great persecution. It says that it went from from out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, right? The showing the fulfillment of the prediction that, that they will be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what is this witness? As we stand at the ends of the earth, as we've tried to look through Saul's perspective, as we tried to look through Stephen's perspective, maybe you find yourself at another spot in that crowd. But I want to ask you, what is this witness of Jesus? This blessing that goes out to all families on the earth, to the ends of the earth. This fulfillment of the promise of Abraham that we all take with us. It's a message of forgiveness. Because we live in a household called forgiveness. And an open heaven leads to an open heart. As you see Jesus for who he really is, and then you realize he's standing there interceding for you. We... We can bless those who curse us. We can endure suffering and entrust ourselves. You can entrust yourself to the one who stands in heaven as your advocate. 